I'll invite the uh, deacons and ushers to take their seat up here on the front pew because in a few moments we're going to be celebrating communion together. But I do have a sermon for you in the meantime. And I have to say, preparing for this sermon has been one of the most interesting and surprising and fun sermon preparation experiences I've had in a long time, probably since way back in Romans. Remember when we were in Romans chapter 9, how difficult that was? Uh, You have no idea how much work I put into trying to figure out what in the world he was talking about in some of those passages. But I love that. And this was sort of like that, even though it is a seemingly extremely simple phrase that we're going to study this morning. So uh, you, you can keep your seat. I'm going to pray once more. I know it seems like we break and pray a lot, but isn't that as it should be? I mean, we're relying on God for everything, and, um, and I especially for this task. So if you would bow with me, I want to ask for God's blessings over our time together in the Word, and then I'll read our short passage for today. Let's pray. Father, please help us now. Please help me to serve your people well. Please help us to receive your word in all humility and receptivity and to be changed by it. And may this be another tool in your hands to mold us into your church, into your people. We trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, we're going to be looking at Acts 2, verse 42. I don't know why it didn't occur to me until this week that... You thought I took a long time in Romans. We've been in one verse for almost a month now. Um, but it's different because it's launching us out into bigger studies, topical studies. So we're going to read just verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And like I said, you can keep your seat today. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we have spent some time figuring out what it means for us in our endeavor to be the church, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We learned that that means that we need to devote ourselves to learning and living in light of the authoritative word of God. Whether that comes through personal devotion time in the word, through listening to scripture-based preaching and teaching, podcast books all the avenues available to us we if we're going to be the church must devote ourselves give ourselves continually to learning and living in light of the authoritative word of god and then last week we spent some time learning what it means to devote ourselves to fellowship and that in christ we are already in fellowship with one another and that being the church means leaning into that And fully devoting ourselves to one another in different ways. And today, we need to figure out what it means to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. And it's connected to the idea of fellowship. What does it mean in being the church to devote ourselves, give ourselves continually over to, persist in the breaking of bread? Now, if you're like me, every time I've read this passage over the last several Sundays, you may have taken that little bit for granted. Breaking of bread is kind of a common phrase. But what does it really mean? We know it's not literal. We know the early church wasn't devoted to getting pieces of bread and breaking them. 
They didn't go storming through people's houses in Jerusalem and grab their bread and break it. Say, hey, be in the church. I'm devoted to breaking bread everywhere I can find it. I'm going to break it up. We know it's not literal. We know it's figurative. But what is it figuratively referring to? Now, show of hands, there's really only two options. It can either mean eating meals together, you know, breaking bread, or it can mean uh, participating in the Lord's Supper. Okay, so just shooting from the hip, how many of you, raise your hands, if you, if you have received that word, that phrase, breaking of bread, and thought that it meant eating regular meals together? Show of hands if, you, if that's what you think it may mean. Okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not going to call you up here and embarrass you. Okay, now show of hands. How many of you, your gut reaction to that is you think it probably means the Lord's Supper, something like what we're about to do? Show of hands. Okay. I see some double, some cheated and did hands for both. You, I dock points for trying to be crafty. Well, I have really been trying to figure this out this week. It's not as simple as you think. You, know, you consult the scholars and even look at other preachers who have preached through this. And a lot of them don't seem to quite be sure what it means. You, you look at other preachers who've preached through this and some of them use this verse to say, we need to be really giving ourselves over to uh, celebrating communion, similarly to the way that we're going to today. Often it needs to be a central part of the church because it says that they were devoted to it. And then you read other men that say, this means you need to spend a lot of time together over a table fellowship. And then you do read people who kind of like some who said both say it, it is both. They did the Lord's Supper as a, as a normal meal. So I'll go ahead and give you my conclusion and then try to prove to you how I got to it. And then we'll think about how we should respond to it. Um, in my attempts, prayerful attempts, I think I'm right. Uh, but as I told you, you need to check. I could be wrong. Um, I believe that it's referring to religiously significant, regular, hunger-satisfying meals together. Okay? Now, I say religiously significant. I'm careful with the word religion because, you know, Christianity is about relationship with Christ. It's not about religious practices. What I mean is this: these meals had real, spiritually... Christ-oriented significance. They were regular, they were frequent, and they were real meals, hunger-satisfying meals. So let me sort of walk through why I think that. Um, first, just look at the verse itself. And they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The context itself indicates that the breaking of bread has to have real significance, spiritual significance to the church. It's presented as one of the four legs holding up the table of the church. There's no reason to think that it's any less significant than the apostles teaching the fellowship and the prayers. And we think of the teaching and the prayers, especially and the fellowship as being very important to the church. Well, so is the breaking of bread. It is significant. Okay, it's regular. Look on down if you have your Bibles open. If you don't, there's a pew Bible near you. At verse 46, you know, all this whole paragraph is describing what they did, and that's why we're studying it to figure out what should we be doing. Verse 46 expands on verse 42 and says, And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what this looked like was in homes, day by day, some translations may even say daily. They did this. They, they rejoiced. It was a happy, glad time of Thanksgiving, and they broke bread together in homes practically every day. So it was a religiously significant. It was regular, and it was a hunger-satisfying meal. It was a real meal. When I point out that it was a hunger-satisfying meal, I just mean that it wasn't just, it wasn't just symbolic and, and ritualistic. It was a real meal. I'm, I'm contrasting it with how we do communion. Do any of you, after you eat the wafer and drink the thimble, are any of you like, oh man, I'm stuffed. I couldn't eat another wafer if I had to. No, because this, this meal, and even when we've done it when you come up and tear off of a loaf, isn't about satisfying your physical hunger. It's not about, it's not about your, your physical hunger at all. It's purely symbolic, purely a ritual. Okay, And I'm not trying to discount it, and I'll get to that at the end when we transition into doing it. That's one of the reasons I wanted to observe communion today. I didn't want you to think I was abolishing it. Um, I'll show you why I think this. Mainly, I think this because of the way breaking of bread is used everywhere else in the New Testament. Virtually every other use of that phrase, breaking of bread, just has to do with normal meals. And I'll give you one example in Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, uh, let's see, 33 through 38. Acts 27, beginning at verse 33. As, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. Who was them all? Well, it was a bunch of different people, including non-Christians, non-believers, who were on a ship together. So this was not all Christians. This was not all believers. He urged them all. To take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having, take, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So here we see one instance of this bread breaking. And it's not, it's not like this. It's not in a church service. And it's not preceded by the proclamation that if you're not a believer, you shouldn't do this. You know, we always do that because we believe the Lord's Supper communion is a very serious thing that represents Jesus' body and blood. And it's only to be partaken of if you're trusting and following him. That just doesn't seem to be what's in view here in Acts chapter 2. It seems to be the more regular, casual, real, sustaining eating of meals together. Now, what may help us to understand this is a little bit about Jewish tradition. You know, in Jewish households, which most of these believers in Acts chapter 2 were... It was common for them to break bread together. It was a phrase used from when the household or the family or the group of families came together around the table. The head of the household or the host would literally grab some bread, pray and give thanks for it, and break it. 
apart and give a piece to everybody around the table. And what it did was invested every meal done in this way with real significance, real religious, spiritual significance. What it did was acknowledge and, and make everyone conscious of the fact that what they're sharing around the table is a joint fellowship in enjoying and sharing the blessings of God. It's an acknowledgement that we all are of the same neediness coming to the same source for provision. And it made every meal have significance. Now, the closest we get to this idea of breaking of bread is when we say the blessing over our food. You know, when you're about to eat and you, you know, usually you ask the, the most senior person around the table or the head of the house, you know, would you please pray and bless the food, we call it. And someone prays and thanks God for it. That's pretty close, but it misses that component of actually breaking the bread and handing each piece to each person. I think the actual closest we get to it is at Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe some of you do this. When the head of the house, turkey's in front of them, they get the fork and the knife, and they carve the turkey and hand the portion of turkey to everybody. Does anybody do that at Thanksgiving? Oh, you people. I can't relate to you at all. That happens. Maybe you've seen it on TV. Probably not. It's just, it's just such a simple thing. I, I'm fully convinced that this is what he's referring to. Now, I need to clarify one thing, though. The reason why it's so unclear about whether they're talking about the Lord's Supper and communion or regular meal is because we can't really compare what we do for communion at all with what they did. It's, it's pretty obvious that when they celebrated communion and the Lord's Supper, it was always in the context of a full meal. You know, when it was first instituted, it was at the Passover meal. You read sort of the, the main text, which I'll read from while we do communion. 1 Corinthians 11. If you read verses uh, 17 through 34, which I won't do now because I want us to have plenty of time for the communion service. It just seems clear that they weren't passing around symbolic little bite-sized bits of bread and little tiny cups of juice. There was enough food there for the selfish people to get overfilled and drunk. And the problem was that people were, were clamoring and getting in line first and they were eating all the food so the others didn't have it. So they were coming in hungry, they were really eating, they were really drinking. There's a, a man that I respect. His name is Brian Chapel. He's the president of Covenant Theological Seminary. I was reading what he's written about communion services, and he describes what we do as a symbolic paraphrase of the original idea of the Lord's Supper. And I think he's right. I don't think what we do is bad or in any way lacking, so long as we don't forsake real table fellowship and think that this is sufficient for our fellowship. What we're doing here is a symbolic paraphrase of the reality of what Jesus has done for us, how he broke his body, the bread, and gave us each a piece, my body broken for you, how he shed his blood of the new covenant for us. So it's a powerful symbol. But what the early church devoted themselves to wasn't sitting in pews like this and receiving little bits of bread and juice. They were devoted to breaking bread together, to, in a very visual way, share in their joint need 
and joint provision under God together over real meals. So I'm not saying we should stop doing this and instead eat full meals together. I'm saying we should keep doing this and keep the significance of this. But really simply, and this is why this is such a surprising process for me, we need to eat together. We need to eat more together. I never thought that I was going to come to that conclusion with a great deal of of zeal from the scripture. Because it seems too mundane. But here I am. And I think it's true. And my thought while studying this was, okay, for them in that culture, the shared meal together around a table was very important and very central. But for us, it's a different time, a different culture. Everything's different now. So probably what I'm going to find here is a principle that has a different uh, practice today. But, you, and it's true, their culture did revolve a lot around um, you know, their times together, and their time around the table was a lot more central. For one thing, what else were they going to do? They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have cars to drive to a billion different attractions within 15 minutes. They didn't have electricity. So they weren't, you know, up late at night doing their work from their laptop all night. They had, they had work and they had family and they had their church family. And it was all saturated with religious meaning because the whole idea of a sacred secular divide hadn't been invented hardly. So yes, the table was very important to them. But as things have changed culturally, nothing has replaced that. We have no equivalent to the table, but the table. There is no other natural rhythm of our days in which we will come together with other people and stop and be face to face where we can see each other and have a time where we all acknowledge we got a lot of responsibilities and stress, but we've got to eat. And God provides for us, which is a shadow of how he's provided for us in Jesus Christ, salvation. So I think that our culture has moved. Our world has gotten so busy and so frantic and we've become so isolated that eating meals together regularly just seems quaint and maybe silly and unimportant and just just brush it aside. It's not going to happen. But remember who is in charge of this world right now. You know, when the Bible refers to the world, the, the human system apart from God, it's talking about Satan's domain. And wouldn't it be just like him to subtly cancel out this, this easy means of grace that God intended for us to share? We have this sacred secular divide where we think what we do in here has sacred significance. What we do out there in our homes, on our couches, around our dinner tables, that's just secular. That's just mundane. That's just, you know, necessary. It's not worship. It's not really fellowship. Fellowship's what happens in the fellowship hall. And that's a modern idea. The idea that there's any divide. Everything is sacred. Everything is under God's purview. We're supposed to do all things for God's glory. And there's just nothing like sharing meals together. I can't find a parallel. I can't find another activity that's like it. And you know what's funny about this? I don't really even like eating meals with people that much. I mean, this isn't just coming from me. It drives Meredith crazy. But my preferred, like if I come home for lunch, I like to stand in the kitchen. I don't even like to sit. I like to stand in the kitchen and eat. 
And that's, again, like last week, it's my selfishness. I just want to eat. (laughs) So this isn't just, you know, with the teaching sermon, you could have probably said, well, a lot of that's just Matt's personality. He's a nerd and he loves this stuff. This is not coming from my personality. I did not expect to land here. But I really believe it's important that we eat together. I think the way we do the Lord's Supper, you know, Brian Chappell said it is a symbolic paraphrase of the the deeper realities, first, of what Jesus did for us in his body and blood, and secondarily, even it's a symbolic paraphrase of how the early church did the Lord's Supper. I think it's also a symbolic paraphrase of how we do being the church. We like to be the church in little bite-sized, very containable segments that don't really affect our life that much. Now, opening up our home to a bunch of people, I don't know about that. I'll I'll do an hour a week. I'll do that little bite-sized chunk. But in terms of opening my life to these people, I don't know about that. I'll fellowship with these people that I see here in the sense that I'll be cordial in the lobby. And if I see them at Walmart, but having them over to my house multiple times per month, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I'll be the church, but I'm going to be the bite-sized church. You, you read what it looks like to be the church, and it's, it's all-consuming. Like I told you last week, we like for the church to be one more item in our juggling act. Whereas becoming the church is something that Jesus does in your heart, and it, it is who you are now. You are connected. We are connected. And everything we do comes from that reality. So now we juggle work and and leisure and family as a part of the church. Church isn't just another component. I think this is frustrating for us because we we want our sacred stuff to be microwavable. We want it to just we want to give it a short little burst of time and we want it to just fruit of the spirit to grow. I went to church an hour. I went to church one hour every week. Where's the fruit of the spirit? Why am I not peaceful, joyful, loving? I'll give it a five minute devotion in the morning and then I'm on about real life. We want to be able to, to put ourselves into these various little programs, click, you know, one hour or 30 minutes start and for it to do its work in us. And then we go on. But Christianity is a, a crockpot religion. It's you soak in this. If we want fellowship, we can't get it unless we soak in being together. We want to be the church. We can't get it unless we dive straight in and stay in it consistently for a long time. And then the way it works is it creeps up slowly and subtly. Before you know it, you realize your lives are intertwined with these people. Really? Really? And it's like leaven in bread is how the kingdom of God grows. And it's so subtle. And it gives me nothing that I can, can put on the church website and say, here's why Dillon's Grove is awesome. Because it's too, it's too subtle. It's too subsurface. How fitting that God would make eating meals together one of the four legs holding up the table of being the church. So simple. So let's not mess it up by trying to overcomplicate it and say, well, we got to start a break bread program where everybody has cycles everybody through their house twice a week and we eat we have to add more meals to the day because we're going to do this 
let's not overcomplicate it and try to take control of it. Let's just relax into the rhythm God's given us. We have three meals in a day. Start using those for God's glory to devote ourselves to fellowship. And remember the verb here is devotion. The verb isn't, isn't breaking bread. The verb is devoted themselves. What did they do? Well, they didn't just learn. They didn't just uh, relate to each other. They didn't just eat some bread and they didn't just pray. They devoted themselves to these things. It means that they took themselves and put themselves on these four legs of this table and gave themselves to these things, persisted in these things. It requires this, this dramatic priority shift because most of us, we don't have time for this. How many of you are thinking about this, thinking, well, that sounds great, but when in the world am I even going to get my house cleaned up to invite somebody over? It, it requires a dramatic priority shift. It requires being realistic about the fact that we can't do everything. We can't be everything. We can't, you know, express the desire that I want to trust and, and follow Jesus and be the church so long as it doesn't affect all these other things I'm trying to do. It just doesn't work that way. It, it infuses everything and it rearranges our priorities. It may be that some of the entertainment, the hobbies, the um, extracurricular stuff that we want to do, we might have to cool off on a little bit because being the church is an important priority too, isn't it? And I know some of us with kids, I, I feel the pressure already to get pulled into a billion different endeavors for our kids, which is good. You want to do that for your kids. But the world tries to make us believe that we can do everything. And if there is an opportunity, we need to take that opportunity or else we're bad people, bad parents, lazy. It may be that we have to make some tough decisions so that we can be the church. We might be too busy. We might have some options of things we can chop out of the schedule. You know, if we want to really cultivate our fellowship, I really think that meals may be the most practical tool that we have to use. Already there, already in our schedule. I read in one of the books as I was researching this, one family got a hold of this idea and they decided that they were going to be, they were going to look at themselves like a host family on Sundays. They would consider themselves a host family. So like if we had a visiting missionary come in and um, we said, we need a host family to receive them, give them a meal. They decided that they, that was going to be their identity. They were going to be a host family every Sunday. They would plan every Sunday to provide a meal to 12 people. Sunday morning before church, they set the table for 12 people. And from Monday towards Sunday, they would just work on filling up that table, whoever they ran into, whoever they could get their hands on. You know, they would have folks from church. They would have neighbors. They would have, um, you know, people from all the different classes within their church. So it wasn't just their best buddies. Maybe that's the ticket. Maybe some of you have the space. Maybe some of you have the means to provide such a large meal. Maybe that's a ministry that's been sitting under your nose that you haven't thought about. You know, I, one thing I considered, I mentioned to Meredith, and we're going to pray through how we're going to respond to this, is um, 
You know, we talk about tithing our money. What if we tithe our meals? That'd be about two meals a week devoted to this real breaking bread fellowship meals. Maybe it's a lunch break and then maybe one evening where you invite some folks over. There's little practical ways we can start doing it. Maybe it will take more of a church-wide organized effort. I'm not opposed to that. I read about one church who they always provided meals for the homeless. And the church decided to, after sort of receiving this, they decided they would still provide the meals, but they would do it in such a way that they could eat with them. Which is way different from soup kitchen where they come through and you give them the food and they sit and eat. And then like you go back and eat in the kitchen. They would actually sit and eat with the people. This is not the kind of thing that I'm prone to think is important. But I believe from God's word that it is. And think of what it could lead to for us. It could lead to a a dissolving of the isolation that we experience. I cannot tell you how many folks I've met in counseling who are dealing with real, deep life struggle who don't realize that they are just one of many people dealing with that same real, deep life struggle because we don't actually know each other. I've had people come to me with, with real issues and I'll say, well, you know, I'm here for you. Who else knows about it? Like within the church, do you have support, other people praying for you? And they said, nobody knows about it. And I'm like, I don't want anybody to know about it. Well, if we don't know each other, how are we going to be the church together in fellowship? Meals could help. It could be the beginning of us actually living out all the one another's that I mentioned from scripture, comfort one another, forgive one another, build one another up, serve one another, on and on the list goes. You know what it could actually even lead to? And this would be huge. It could lead to us on Sundays when we come to worship, sitting with each other and singing together, as opposed to sitting as far away from each other as we can possibly get. And then when it's time to sing, feeling like we're all by ourselves because we can't hear anybody beside us. It could lead to, on Sunday morning, instead of everybody up against the back of the church, like they want to be as far away from what's happening up here as possible, to us starting to to experience some togetherness. What would y'all think if I preached from back here? Good morning, church. I'm glad to see you all here. I'm not just picking on those around the outer edges. And yet I am at the same time. You know, I, I, I really love being a pastor, but I'm so unnatural at it in so many ways. And one of the ways in which I'm most unnatural is the big idea vision casting leadership side of it. And I struggle with it and I pray through it. And the more I pray through it and I'm in the scripture, the vision that keeps coming to mind gets more and more mundane and less and less fantastic. You know, there's a desire to make it big. Dolan's Grove, watch out elevation. There's a new church on the block. But the more I study the scripture, the more small it gets. Maybe we'll get there one day, but right now you just need to start learning how to love each other. You just need to start learning how to receive the teaching and grow by it. You just need to start understanding what fellowship is. You just need to start eating together. (laughs) How deflating is that? To, to wanting to build up awesome church pride. Now, why don't y'all just learn how to share a meal together before you start trying to build a Tower of Babel? 
Now, I want to close with this as we ease into communion. We have to keep in mind what generates this and what fuels it. Just eating together is not necessarily bread-breaking Christian fellowship. It's, it's eating together as men and women who have been transformed by Jesus Christ, who have been forgiven, who are every day putting their trust in him, who are following Jesus, who have been given the Holy Spirit and be, been regenerated and given new life. And when, when we come to the table as those types of people, that's when it becomes real breaking of bread fellowship. So... Now, after all that I've said, promoting eating regular meals together, we're going to eat a very irregular meal together now. We're going to celebrate communion. Okay, This is not going to satisfy your hunger physically. What this is going to do and why we do this regularly is it's like an anchor that keeps us anchored to these truths about Jesus. Lest we forget what we're doing. All we have is the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us. That's the only reason we have hope. All we have is, is the fact that he was raised from the dead. That's the only reason we have a Lord to follow. So we come around this table recognizing that this is just a tiny symbol of the massive reality of what we have in Jesus Christ. And hopefully, hopefully, these realities will prepare us to gather around other tables, even for lunch today, even this week. To break bread together. So I want to pray. And then after I do, I'll invite our deacons and ushers to come and stand here. And we will observe the Lord's Supper together. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. It is surprising and it is always fresh and new and exciting to me. And I hope to your people. Lord, please guide us in these things. Please help us to relax into the natural rhythms that you've already created for us. Very simply, help us to use our meals. To not just eat food, but to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, to the mutual sharing in your goodness and your blessings and your provision for us around the dinner table, the lunch table, the breakfast table. As we pass these little elements now, may they be fully invested with their full, rich meaning. May we see these little pieces of bread as Jesus' body that you sat down and you blessed and you broke and handed to each one of us. And we see these little cups of juice as Jesus' blood shed to cleanse and purify and forgive us of our sins. May we receive these elements. More importantly, may we receive Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.